Okay, turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4. Gospel of John, chapter 4. I think this is our 21st um, exploration of the Gospel of John today. So, Gospel of John, we're actually starting in verse 10, but I'm going to read it from verse 1 on so we have some context. So here we are in the Gospel of John. We're studying verses 10 through 14, but we will start in verse 1, and this is God's word. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well It was about the sixth hour. It's about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's stop there and pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as most of you know, uh, Tammy and I uh, went to the, uh, not the Smokies, what, the, the, uh, the Yellow Smokies, the Yellowstones. We went to the Yellowstone Park, and, um, and Yellowstone is uh, sitting on top of a giant volcano, which is amazing. You, just, you, know, you never know this until you get there and you see violently bubbling, uh, boiling water come spurting up from the ground, and then these geysers. Uh, these geysers aren't just like psh, nice cold water. There's, it's steam. And uh, Old Faithful, we saw Old Faithful, we, we happened to see it go off twice. And uh, the reason Old Faithful is called Old Faithful, you know, underneath Yellowstone, there's all this magma. Apparently, it's, it's closer to the Earth's crust than in other parts of the world. And so water gets superheated. And once it gets superheated, it has to go somewhere. So there are, there are all these thermal things all over Yellowstone. And then these geysers. And there's some geysers that are not all that faithful. They're like, oh, this one's awesome. If you happen to see this one go off, oh, you've had a wonderful day in the park indeed. Uh, last time it went off was like 40 years ago. And you're like, oh, well, I guess we missed it. You know, it would have been great, but, you know, it's not that faithful. And then other ones are like every couple of days, you might uh, happen on it and see it go off. And it shoots way high in the air, but it only happens a couple of days. Oh, faithful, every 90 minutes, all the time, every 90 minutes. Uh, give or take 15 minutes or so. But it's, it's going to happen. And uh, what's amazing about Old Faithful, and they, when you hear people talk about it, they talk about the plumbing all the time, the, the plumbing of the geyser. And so Old Faithful is 22 feet of kind of a pool, a collection of cool water. And then there is a four-inch constriction, 
and underneath it is superheated water that's boiling from the magma. And uh, that situation can't last very long. It could only last about 90 minutes before it all goes nuts and goes and shoots out of the sky. And so they call it Old Faithful because uh, every 90 minutes or so, this thing happens. But really, the real reason it's called Old Faithful is not that it shoots steaming uh, water out of the ground. The real reason it's called Old Faithful is that there is a source of water that continues to replenish it. There is a source. There is a wellspring. There is a fountainhead that continually feeds what's under there so that... um, it, it, it comes out on top, and that's why it's so faithful. Old faithful so faithful because it's got a replenishing supply of water that is faithful. Well, that's a biological, geological thing. Let's talk about uh, theological, Christological things. Um, here is our main idea today. This is this. Uh, salvation in Christ is presently eternal. And... Uh, you know, I kind of labored over that. You want to say something in a succinct way, and I, I, I labored over that. I wish I could find a better way to say that. But what I'm trying to say with salvation in Christ is presently eternal is this. Um, salvation is eternal life. You, Christian, are already living that life. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, uh, we look forward to a day in eternity uh, with our Savior, but we have fellowship with him now. He is now a present Savior. He is now a king. We now have fellowship with our Savior Shepherd, our living head of the church. He is our righteousness. He's our fountain of life. We now have fellowship with the Savior. The eternal life is now. uh, Salvation in Christ is presently eternal. And we see Jesus teaching this very thing as we continue with the story of the woman he meets at a well. So let's look at it. There's only two points. The what and the who is the first one. Now, if you recall from last time, this whole story about this woman is purposely adjacent to another story about another person, and that person is Nicodemus. And of course, Jesus lived out these events in this order, and the gospel writer John records them in this order and particularly wants us to see them in a set, Nicodemus and then this woman uh, at the the well. Now, Nicodemus, as you know, was an uptown boy. Um, He was an educated person. He was a person of leadership and power and influence. Um, He was a Jew, Nicodemus was, but he he also had a Greek name, which means he was probably from a wealthy family because they would have this Greek name for reasons of commerce, and if he went by his Greek name, uh, that would probably indicate, say, scholars, that he was uh, an educated man from some means. Right? So he's an uptown guy. Um, and in contrast, um, there's this Samaritan woman. And she is a woman of low status. And we'll go on to see next week that she had a very reckless and ungodly past. Jesus will uh, uncover. Um, and uh, that, that shows her, of course, in a light of weakness, what, what is transpiring in her life. We'll see next week. She's a woman of, of low esteem. And she's a Samaritan. That puts her at low esteem. And she is a female, and a female in that culture was automatic low esteem. Not a really, not a really uh, wonderful picture of a person coming from a position of strength. Nicodemus, however, was coming from a position of strength. But the point is, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, what they needed was the exact same thing. Living water. All right, so to the text. Let's look at verse 10. 
I'm going to read this slowly. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have given him and he would have, uh, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, um, there's much to say about that one verse. First of all, uh, at the very beginning of it, it says that Jesus answered her. Okay, well, what was the question? The question was in verse 9, uh, the lady says, um, so you see that uh, Jesus is alone. His disciples go into the city to buy food. Verse 9, the woman says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So she is stating her disadvantages right there uh, culturally. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, what's so cool about this is that Jesus totally ignores the question. He, he, he just takes a, a, a turn, and he says, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that's asking you, and so on, you'd say, hey, give me a drink, and I give you living water. And, and you know, it, it's kind of cool. In that, in Jesus' um, not answering. He really does answer, but he answers in such a grand way that her question becomes minuscule. It is addressed in the midst of all that. Um, but uh, let's go to the end of the verse, uh, end of verse 10. Uh, he says, um, uh, I would have given you living water. Now, let's talk about living water for a second because um, it was actually hinted at earlier. And um, look at verses 1 and 2. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, here's verse 2, and you, a lot of you have parentheses around these words, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Now, that is a strange little insert in there, isn't it? And I bet you that a lot of you uh, either just kind of blew past it or some of you looked at it and go, huh, well, that's, well, I, well, that's weird. I don't understand that. I, I, I wish somebody would kind of bring that out. Well, I will say that most people just kind of blow past it and hope that the crowd won't notice uh, because that is an odd thing to deal with. And you got to go, why is it? I mean, you have John who's established his ministry. It's business is a booming. Then Jesus shows up on the scene and John says, behold, the Lamb, son, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Now Jesus has a baptizing uh, ministry of repentance and more people are going to Jesus than John. And remember, some of John's disciples uh, were upset about that. And John's like, no, 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 this is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, he's got to increase, I've got to decrease. And so more people are going to Jesus to be baptized. And then we get this strange little footnote that Jesus himself is not actually doing the baptizing, but his disciples are. Now, why is that so? Why, I'm going to open it up to the room. I'm really curious as to what you think. I've got a really, what I think is a pretty solid answer. But what do you think? Why is Jesus not actually doing the baptizing, but his disciples are? What do you think? Anybody? Sir? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wanted to go, no, no, somebody else. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, precisely right. Precisely right. You know, <laughs> you know uh, say it again. Oh, good. I, I'm not, probably not going to do as good a job. Uh, uh, the baptism is a symbol. And Jesus did not want to associate him. He, he's the fulfillment. He's the real thing. In fact, let me, let me, this is from chapter 7, verse 37. I got, some, I got something to back it up. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, 
and this was said of Jesus, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And uh, he's saying that he himself is the source of living water. That is eternal life. Jesus is the real thing, the the real living uh, water. And so he doesn't want to reduce himself to just a symbol. Uh, He is the the fulfillment of it, as as Rob said. And and listen to this too. Listen how clearly the Bible wants us to understand um, Jesus as living water. In chapter 7, verse 39, it says, Now he said this about the Holy Spirit. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And Jesus is saying this is going to be an act of the Holy Spirit of God whom Jesus sends. And so uh, I think the simple answer is that Jesus doesn't want to be um, uh, associated with the mere symbol because he is the fulfillment of that spiritual reality. That makes sense? Did I mess? Rob said it great. Okay. Back to the well. Jesus' point at the well is precisely that. He's talking about living water, just like he goes on to talk about living water in chapter 7, uh, and that, that he himself is the giver of living water, eternal life. And he's presenting the idea of a spiritual reality, verse 14, uh, calls it um, eternal life. That's what it is, is eternal life. He gets right down to the bare elements. So he lays out two principles for us in verse 10 uh, for this lady. Um, verse 10, he says, if you knew... The gift of God, that's thing number one he lays out. And who it is that's saying to you. So there's a what and there's a who that this lady needs and that Nicodemus needs and that all sinners need. Uh, the what is the gift of God. Um, you know, I, I, I hate doing corny stuff, but, um, you know, I'd almost like the room to take a vow like a make a public confession of faith. You want, would you like to make, make a public confession of faith? It's not corny to make a public confession of faith, to say, I believe this, and we say it all as a room together. How about this? Salvation in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. Can you say that together with me? Salvation in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. That's a confession of faith, a public confession of faith. Can we say it one more time? Salvation in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. Now, if you're a Christian, your heart should rumble around that truth and be excited about it. The gospel's never boring. And if you're a searching person and you're going, I don't know about this, I've been sitting next to this lady for years and years, and I'm just trying to be nice and polite and be the best person I can and all that kind of stuff, if you remember anything all morning long, remember that salvation is a gift from God. Salvation in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. That's what Jesus wants you to know. If you knew the gift of God. Don't forget, it's a gift. That means you can't add anything to it. Um, There's a a very fine confession in shorthand. It describes a salvation that can't be contributed to. Here's some verses for you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is by grace. That means you didn't deserve it. It's a gift. You have been saved. It's by, by grace you have been saved. In case there's any confusion, the apostle Paul writes on. Um, Through faith, Okay, that's, that's more giftness. Um, this is not from yourselves. What does that mean? It's when given to you. Oh, in case there's a confusion. It is the gift of God, in case there's any confusion. Not by works, in case there's any confusion. So no one can boast. I mean, that's saying over and over again. It's grace, 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 grace. It's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. You can't contribute to it. If you do contribute to it, uh, if you slip into some weird denomination, or you slip into the realm of pointy hats, and anybody says that uh, Jesus did a good job, but then you got to do some other stuff, you better get the freak out of there. 
uh, because uh, they are not preaching the truth. The truth is salvation in Jesus Christ is a gift from God if you believe the very lips of the Savior. Uh, Romans 5.15 calls salvation a free gift. Romans 6.23 says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Chapter 10.10 of John describes Jesus as life giver, giving life. How about this? Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave. Well, that means he's a gift giver. Salvation is a gift. The transaction that has to take place in the heart is that one party is giving a gift and the other party is simply the recipient of the gift, and that is the, that is the um, math equation of salvation. Well, back to the well. It's a gift of God, says Jesus, but there's something else. He goes on to say you need, um, you need to know the gift of God, and you need to know who it is that's saying it to you. And there's the what and the who of our point. The what is that God has given a free gift. He's done it freely in love, and uh, And at the same time, he does it on his own strict terms. He says, this is the path to me. There's a way, there's a truth, the life. No one comes to me, but this way, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other. Um, Buddha is just a statue of a dead guy. Mohammed, you know you're not supposed to draw Mohammed. Uh, and the funny thing, of course, is you draw anybody in a turban, if you say it's Mohammed, then you've, you've done a bad thing. You know, it's, it could be just some guy you drove by on the way to work, you know. But what I'm saying to you is these, these ancient figures and these ancient religions are just cats who died, man. Um, everything hangs on a resurrected Jesus. Christianity is different from any other belief system. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a replenisher of the well. And uh, the reason there's a replenisher of the well is he ain't dead. He's living and acting active, and he's currently king and lord and head of the church. All right, so um, the who of it is Jesus Christ, and he wants an abundantly lived life um, uh, for eternity, but also for now. Remember our main idea here, salvation in Christ is presently eternal. Christ is your savior now. Christ is the lover of your soul now. Christ is the great replenisher of your well now. Now notice the woman's response. Look at verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now, before you get teary, and I think that's wonderful, um, I submit to you, and uh, others say the same thing, that um, uh, this chick ain't sold on Jesus just yet. Because look what she says in verse 12. She gets a little snarky. Are you greater than our father Jacob, smarty? He gave us the well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. So she's kind of throwing it out there going, yeah, oh, look, you're a, you're a dude sitting by a well. And uh, you're, you're talking about living water. I mean, she's no dummy. Uh, she understands this idea about living water. We'll talk about it a, a little bit in a second, I, I think, yeah. Um, but, um, um, you know, Calvin said this. She understands quite well that Jesus is speaking figuratively, but she throws out a jibe, intending to say that he promises more than he can deliver. So she's understanding that he's talking about spiritual matters and not just a well. She's understanding, but she's throwing out a kind of a, mm, like, who are you, buddy? And um, so she's, she asked that in verse uh, 12. Now, here's an application for your life. Here's a, here's a key question. When she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's, she's kind of going, let's get real, man. 
you're, you're saying that you can give living water. You're talking about eternal life. You're talking about uh, never being thirsty again. I mean, these are words that Jesus is using. And she, she's like, but who are you, buddy? Well, that, that's the question about this Jesus. When Jesus is presented to you, um, is he just some tragic figure from a long time ago, or is he just some encouraging figure or some, some little moral guide or some teacher or something like that? Um, are you greater than our father Jacob? That's, that's her question. Well, we could put it this way. Are you greater than, I don't know, our family's name and place in society? Are you greater, Jesus, than uh, uh, my benevolent work with blah, blah, blah? Are you greater, Jesus, than uh, my sincerity uh, when I think about religious things? Are you greater than my regret over my wrongdoing? Are you greater over my embarrassment over my sin? Well, here's what Jesus says in verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Well water, biological thing. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that brings us to our last point, which is this, endless life. Um, Remember, salvation in Christ is presently eternal. Um, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. It'll be a spring of water uh, uh, welling up to eternal life. Now, I think we can apply it to our lives uh, pretty easily. I'm guilty of uh, often thinking in futuristic terms. I'm very excited about the return of the Lord Jesus. I really am. I look really forward to a new heavens and a new earth um, where all things are made new and when sin is judged and when it's removed and we are in a position where we are, where we are able not to sin. Doesn't that sound good? It would be nice to be able. It would be nice to be able to not sin. Uh, I do look forward to that. But um, we have a heavenly home, but it's right here too. Um, the, the, it's a present reality, and um, I think that's a thing for which we should pray. Uh, I'm 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 quite guilty of of being more excited about what is to come than what I already have in Jesus Christ. Um, salvation in Christ is. Um, presently eternal. Close with this. Um, Isaiah 55 1 says this Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. By the way, uh, that's another little uh, problem for the Samaritans. Did you know that? Because they were um, um, Assyrians and uh, Jewish people who intermarried and their faiths got all wonky, um, Assyrian believers in Yahweh, who worshiped Yahweh, and other gods too with terrible sacrifices. It was alloyed. It was terrible. But um, another problem that the Samaritans had is they only regarded the Pentateuch as authentic. So uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses, they're the only, only ones the Samaritans believed in. So there were no pro- prophetic utterances. There, there were no prophets pointing to Jesus. They didn't care about Isaiah 51, 55, 1 saying, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Another, another uh, thing that made her of low esteem. All to, all to continue then. There's standing water in a well. And when Jesus is talking about living water, he's making a big difference between standing water and flowing water. Living water. Replenishing water. 
Um, it, it's that water that is living. There's the supplier. And um, here's what Jesus says in um, John seven thirty seven. Listen. Um, on the last day of the feast, on the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Does it sound like Jesus knows about Isaiah 55? It does. Um, Whoever believes in me, come, come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I close with Zechariah 13.1. Zechariah is a hopeful book. It's a happy book. It talks about restoration, yay, in a time of hardship. It's, it's supposed to be encouraging. Here's what it says. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Ladies and gentlemen, the message from the lips of Jesus himself is that he is the fountain. We sing an awful lot about fountains here, about being cleansed in a fountain, and about, um, you know, thou of life, the fountain art, freely let me take of thee. Why do we say that? Because Jesus is the wellspring. He's the giver of life, living water, eternal life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you and we praise you and marvel that you are who you say you are, that you are God. You are the Son of God. You're the living Savior. You're resurrected. You have ascended. You're holding kingly session at the right hand of the Father now. And now, O Christ, we enjoy our company with you uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit you sent. Um, we, We speak to you. You hear us. Oh, God, you hear us. Um, We pray that our hearts would be humbled by that. We pray that we would be encouraged as we move ahead. And we pray that, uh, I pray, that um, I, I I, I would be joyous in the present about what I currently have in my Lord. And we pray that in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.